Well, for the last three weeks, uh, if you've been with us, we've been looking at what the church is, why the church exists, more particularly, and, and we have as a mission statement of our church, one that is not unique to ours, but is just a, basically a restatement of the great commission that the Lord Jesus gave to all believers, but that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home and abroad. And so that, that shared uh, ongoing mission that the Lord has given us, it's fleshed out as we, we've been looking at this over the last few weeks in our, in our gathering together around the gospel, what we do on the Lord's Day and our growing together in the gospel uh, as we grow up in Christ together as we, and then now as, we, as we're going together with the gospel to our community right here and to, to the nations. And so that's where we're giving our attention today. You take any one of those three uh, out of the equation and, and it just doesn't work. Uh, it's, a, it's a crippled church. You, we can't gather and grow but not go. And we can't grow and go and never gather together. So, uh, so, so those aren't just three activities that are just disconnected, kind of little checklists that we do as Christians. That's not it at all. No, they're woven and bound together. They're held together by, by, by many strands, but one of the strongest cords that runs through them all and what we've been giving our attention to is the glory of God. And, and we know that it, it's going to run through those because it's, it runs through all of Scripture. The glory of God. The glory of God is the reason why everything exists. The glory of God is why the church exists. And to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so this, this morning we're going to see that it's the glory of God that's ultimately what fuels our going together as a church with the gospel of Christ. Our living together on mission with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning our attention is going to be just on that one little verse in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15. And in that one very simple statement, Paul packs in this incredible amount of insight into what should keep propelling us forward, moving us out, going together with the gospel locally and globally. And so this, this, this one little verse, it's a hinge in this longer passage in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul is giving us the, the nature of his ministry as an apostle, as a gospel worker. So really, it's not just his ministry, it's, it's the apostles, all the apostles, it's other gospel workers. We could say broadly, it's our ministry. He doesn't say in verse 1, I, he says, we, we do not lose heart. Look at verse 1, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So just to kind of give some context to verse 15, first thing we see here is that, that our going, this ministry of going with the gospel, it's born out of mercy, not merit. It's born out of mercy. Our ministry doesn't exist. The reason we go, it's not, it's not because we're so special in and of ourselves. It's not based upon our ability. It's not, it's not rooted in our initiative. Like this is something we think would be really good. No, it's, the, it's by the mercy of God. It's God's mercy that, that saved us. It's God, God's mercy that then has set us apart to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. To be sent preaching this message of good news to others. 
So that's the first thing. Second, just to kind of get the context, our, our going, this ministry of going, it, it involves shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into darkness. You see this in verses 2 to 6. It's, it's about the open proclamation of truth, he says. And, and as we do that, as we proclaim this truth, he says in verse 4, we're, we're up against the God of this world. Who, who has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this world in darkness, blinded, and can't see the light of the gospel. So what do we do then? What does he say? What do we do? We proclaim. We have a message to proclaim. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. For God who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so our ministry is about God shining the light of the gospel as we speak, shining the light of gospel into a dark, dark world. And that's, what, that's what's happening as we preach this good news. And then third... Again, just kind of setting it up here. Our going, our going will face fierce opposition. It will face fierce opposition. You see that in verses 7 and following there. Look at verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. But we have this treasure, this glorious good news, this gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We're, we're exceedingly ordinary. There's nothing that's innately special about us. That's not the point. We're just plain jars of clay, but we have this glorious treasure. What? To show the surpassing, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And he goes on. For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So our involvement in this gospel declaring cause it's going to be characterized by suffering and hardship we can expect opposition fierce opposition difficulty pushback from from the devil from a world that's blinded to the light of the gospel and set against god from from just life in a fallen world, there's going to be difficulties that, that hinder us in, 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 in doing this very thing. And so, so then after kind of detailing the types of sufferings and, that we're going to face, he makes clear this hope that's going to sustain us through these sufferings as we're going with the gospel. So verses 13 and 14, he, he talks about the hope of resurrection. Death isn't the end. He speaks, out of, he speaks out of faith here. He, he knows that if God raised Jesus from the dead, He will raise us as well. He says, so we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and, and we believe we'll be raised with Him. And what? So we speak. 
we believe, so we speak. This theology, what he believes, this, these doctrinal convictions, they fuel this mission, this, this speaking, this going. And so our confidence, it's not in our approach, it's not in our methodology, it's not in our uh, just kind of persuasiveness or tactics or presentation. Our confidence is in God who raises the dead, who raised Christ, who will raise us with him. And then I'll go flip on the other side of our verse in verses 16, just kind of setting the whole passage, giving us the setting for this jewel of verse 15. He says in verse 16 and following there that though our outer man is perishing, our inner, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And he, goes, he says, for light, momentary affliction is preparing for us this eternal weight of glory. And we have this certain promise then of this, of this ultimate dwelling that we will have with God. And this, this stabilizes our hearts as we Think of facing the sufferings that we will as we go out with the gospel of Christ. So, but tucked in there, tucked into that larger setting, after explaining the kinds of things we can expect to suffer for Christ as we proclaim the gospel of Christ to, to a blind and to a perishing world, after saying those things, and, and as he's telling us what sustains us through the sufferings, we find verse 15. And he says there again, just read it with me again, for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God so look verse 15 it is it is all for your sake now we just looked at the context so we're clued in what is the all that's for their sake what it what does that all refer to it's that list in verses 8 and following there it's we're afflicted we're perplexed we're we're struck down we're we're persecuted we're dying those are the all things that paul and and <coughs> and these gospel workers they're they're enduring for their sake he had them on his heart he had their well-being in mind as he endured those those things those sufferings paul didn't have to suffer i mean think about that he didn't if he would just shut his mouth stop talking about jesus christ and, and, and Christ and him crucified and quit preaching that message, he wouldn't have to suffer. He could, he could stop going. He could stop speaking. He could stop shining the light of the gospel into dark places or being used by the Lord to do that. But as he thought about these people, that was, that was a good setup for us to pray this morning. Thought about people. These people in Corinth. He, he thought about Crispus and Gaius. Fortunatus and Achaicus and Stephanus and, and their families. And he thought about those who had yet to hear the gospel, but who, who would come by the grace of God to believe the good news of Jesus through their testimony. He thought about those people, those places. He thought about them and he said, it's worth it. It's it's. It's all for your sake. What is, what is it that compels you to go, brothers and sisters, to make disciples of Christ? Is it is this grim sense of duty, this obligation, pity? Is it, is it guilt? Because you, you wonder if, 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 if God's going to be kind of ticked at you if you don't, if you don't do this. Is it, is it to look good before others? 
what, what, what is so amazing and what Paul is rooting all of this in, and we're going to talk more about this in a moment, is that it's, it's, he's rooting in this going in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel frees us from guilt and condemnation before the Lord so that now we are truly free to love others and to do these things for, for their sake. Is there a burning in your heart that God has placed in you for those are in your life and around you? Is there a compulsion to keep proclaiming and serving, sacrificing for their sake, for the sake of the lost right here, for the sake of the nations? Love, love, the compassion of Jesus Christ growing in us. It, it should be a compelling motivation for us to go out from here and go with the gospel of Jesus Christ to this community and across the oceans. Our love for brothers and sisters in Christ who are in other churches who are, or who don't have churches. Our love for the lost, those who have yet to believe. That's, that's not enough motivation, as we're going to see, but that is essential motivation in going out with the gospel. And so in other words, the ultimate driving purpose of Paul's ministry of of our ministry, brothers and sisters, it's not centered on them. It's not just people as we're going to see, but there is a selflessness, there's a concern, a deep-seated compassion that should characterize our ministry. Paul says, "I'm doing we're doing what we do, suffering what we suffer for your sakes." For your sakes. I'll live for the sake of others. Second Timothy 2, verse 10. He says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He ties these two things that we see tied together here in that passage. So one reason to keep going with the gospel, keep evangelizing, keep praying, keep sending, keep supporting, keep giving, it's the good of God's elect. So for all, all these things, for your sake, we don't, we don't go and live lives that are gripped by the Great Commission so that we'll feel good about ourselves in, in doing that because it's so fulfilling. We don't, we don't do that because it will make us look good before others. We need to keep going and proclaiming and serving and suffering for the sake of God's elect, for the sake of the other sheep that are not of this fold and who must also come. But there's more. There's more. As I said, it's essential motivation, but it's not ultimate motivation. In fact, there's much more that should compel us to go. And that's what we primarily see in this passage. There's more than a horizontal motivation, more than, than just for your sake. That's, that's a good, right, necessary motivation, but it's an insufficient one. And so he goes on in verse 15, it's all, it's all for your sake, so that, here's the purpose, that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He, he turns it vertical with a turn of a phrase, basically. And so Paul's passionate to see the gospel of the grace of God reach more and more people. And, and, and it is genuinely for their benefit and as the gospel goes out. But he has this greater end in view. Ultimately, it's the glory of God. 
that compels him. And so we're going to see that together this morning. We need to keep going together with the gospel to this community, to the nations. Why? And you see these three points. These are not magical. You can see them right as plain as you can in the text here. First thing is because grace needs to go more. Grace needs to go to more and more people. Secondly, we're going to see because gratitude, thankfulness, it needs to grow more. To increase thanksgiving. And then third, the, 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 the glory needs to, the glory of God needs to shine forth more. It's just show. So first, because grace needs to go more. Because grace needs to extend to more and more and more and more people. That's what he's saying. Paul endured all these things in the work of the Lord so that God's grace would spread to more people. The, ult- the spreading of grace isn't even the ultimate goal. As we'll see, but, but the ultimate goal cannot be accomplished without grace going to more and more people. Grace, if you look at the text, grace is the it there that increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. Grace is the worship fuel in this passage. And so, we can see a few things about this grace that, 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 that's got to go. It's got to go, it's got to go. First thing, grace isn't stagnant. It's not stagnant. It, it, it goes. It extends. It, it runs. It spreads. This is what you see in the text here. It's this living, moving, powerful, transforming reality of God's undeserved kindness to sinners. It's not just a theological concept that's interesting to us and that we find joy in it. No, it's, it's a God's grace extends. God has been gracious for all eternity. He is gracious. It's just in his character. It's his nature. But, but grace was, was first put on full display for us, put on display for us in the garden after the fall. As soon as sin entered the picture, you see grace. Grace was on the move throughout the Old Testament as, as God was preserving his promise to his people. We've been seeing this in Genesis together. He, and, and that culminates in the sending of, of the Messiah, of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come and be, and, and be crucified and resurrected for our salvation. So it, it culminates there. Grace then spread through Jesus to the apostles, and grace spread out of, out of Palestine through the apostles in the early church, and, and grace continues to spread through us today. Uh, just thinking of the, the, as we were praying earlier, just the the imagery that you get of, of uh, the, the, the night, uh, the, the, the earth in darkness, you get these space imagery from these satellites in space, and you see that night imagery, and you see the, the lights, you know, where there's electricity in parts of the world, these big urban populations that, that glow in the night, in the night sky, and, and, you, and you see this density of population. There's other places, you know, over oceans and deserts where it's just completely dark, but if you just kind of take that, take that picture uh, of, of, that, of that image and you say, if, if grace is light, then there are, there are dark areas on the globe where there's not much light that is, that is penetrated. There's places where that saving grace of God has not spread much yet. Obviously, there's common grace and God is gracious to everyone giving them life and breath and sustaining them. But that saving grace, there are some of the most populated places on the planet would be some of the most darkest uh, if you use that imagery. And there are places all around us, brothers and sisters. There, there, are, there are houses in our neighborhoods and 
people down the hall in apartment complex. There are, there are cubicles in our office. There are places where grace is yet to extend and, and pockets of darkness everywhere. Places that grace hasn't yet touched and reached, the saving grace of God. And so how, so, so, so how does this grace go? We're saying, yeah, we, grace has got to go. How does it go? How does it spread? Well, Romans 10, that we referenced earlier in praying, Romans 10 says it's, it's from the mouth to the ear to the heart. From the mouth to the ear to the heart. And so it's by our believing, it's really it's from our hearts to our mouths to our ears to ears to the hearts, but it's by our believing and telling the gospel of grace and their hearing and believing it. That's how it's spread to us, isn't it? That's how it continues to spread through us. And so as Paul proclaims Jesus, this gospel of the grace of Jesus, God's grace abounds to more people. As Paul suffers for the gospel, more people take notice, pay attention, and they, and they receive God's grace. Now, God is infinitely gracious. It's not like he's, he's like manufacturing it and, and there's this grace farm that's you know, producing it and sending it out. That's not it. God is infinitely gracious, but, but the experience of God's saving grace, it extends, it's multiplied as, as more people believe, as more people lean into his grace, as more people depend on his grace, as more people receive it. That's what he's talking about here. And don't forget, brothers and sisters, that, that grace extended to you. It was grace. It's grace alone that explains you right where you're at it was not a natural birthright you were not more fit than others who remain in darkness it's not natural to you it's it's and that brings us to the next reality about this grace it's got to go more it's this it's a grace spreading grace expanding it's a response to grace experienced grace Expanding is a response to grace experience. So the reason Paul is so passionate about spreading grace is because he's so gripped by the reality of saving and transforming grace in his own life. He had been brought from spiritual death to light. He had been brought from darkness to light by sovereign grace. And that set his life on this course of seeing God's grace go to more and more and more people. So the more we feel, the more we sense the gravity of God's grace in our lives, the more passionate we'll be about spreading the gospel of grace to others. Grace, isn't, grace didn't come to us as a little touch-up in our lives. It's not uh, just a little cosmetic makeover that we had. No, we, it's not that we were basically good, kind of self-sufficient people, somewhat deserving and we just need a little boost from the Lord that's not grace that's not it grace grace begins when one person is completely empty and another is completely full it's when the giver of grace is a have and the recipient is a have not when one is rich the other is flat broke so this, the, the, the grace comes into action as the emptiness of the one is filled up by the fullness of the other. What we do not have is supplied by what the giver of grace has. One's poverty is replaced by the other's wealth. And that is the case with God's grace towards us in Christ, isn't it? We had nothing. He had everything. 
lacked nothing. And yet he, he didn't just fill up our lack, he took on our lack. He took on our poverty <coughs> that we might be full with the riches of his grace. We didn't deserve anything from him. But he was gracious towards us. It's, Paul says it a few chapters later in this way, verse, chapter 8, verse 9. He says, you, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. And so the more we apprehend the, this glorious reality of grace, God's grace that's extended to us in Christ, that's gone to us in Christ, the more zealous we'll be to see that grace extend to others. That's, that's the point. And the last thing I'd say about this grace that goes is this grace spreading, this grace expanding, it happens in spite of that grace opposition we talked about earlier. So grace spread in, in spite of all those things that happened to Paul and these other gospel proclaimers, in spite of the affliction and the persecution and the, and the pain and the suffering. And really, grace doesn't just go in spite of suffering. It often spreads and extends in, on account of the opposition. I mean, this is what happened in Acts chapter 8 after Stephen's martyrdom. It says there arose this great persecution against the church there in Jerusalem and, and these believers were scattered throughout all of these regions and Saul savaging the church, going from house to house, dragging men and women off, committing them to prison. And then the text says those who scattered went about preaching the word, preaching this word, that the squeeze of hardships and persecution, they, they're, they're, they're used by the Lord to just propel us out like squeezing a tube of toothpaste just blast people out proclaiming this good news of jesus christ uh we were we're now we're at a little pastor's lunch on on this week and and one of the the other men uh passed along an article to us and related to the coronavirus in china and how how in the midst of this it's just got the stranglehold on many parts of that that massive nation in such need of the gospel and the church is, is so persecuted there and, and lives under this constant threat that now there's this there's in some sense this freedom that the Lord has enabled through this tragic situation as believers or the police they're not, they don't want to be out in the streets they're watching out for themselves believers are risking their own lives and safety and getting out there and passing out masks talking with people more freely and putting up speakers on balconies and blasting the gospel in these, in these cities and in these apartment blocks. And it's just, this, 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 this is the way, this is what happens. As people apprehend the enormity of God's grace towards us in Christ Jesus, then we're gonna, we're gonna, we want to see it go out and we're willing to do that whatever opposition we face. In fact, it, it often aids us. How important is the spreading of grace to you? Does it, does it shape your life? We want to see grace extend to more and more people around the globe, in our nation, in our cities, on our street, in our neighborhoods, at our schools, kids. You see your classmates. You see the people that you bump into at the locker. Do you see, do you still have lockers? Do you, do you see these, these people as 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 people who need Christ, need the light of the gospel. 
Why? Because they're in darkness and they need light. Such were we. Because they're captive to sin and need to be set free, so were we. Because they're blind and need sight. Because they're dead and they need to live. Because they're hell-bound and they need the hope of eternal life. Such were we. But there's more. There's more. We, we want to see more light and grace because that means, that means that lives are changed. But there's more. We want to see that spread so that more thanks and glory can go to God. And that's where he goes. We need to keep going together with the gospel, seeing it spread to our, in our community, around the world, because grace needs to extend to more and more people. Secondly, because gratitude needs to grow more. He says, it's all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. So grace needs to go more because gratitude needs to, to swell. It needs to grow more. Ingratitude is one of the greatest tragedies of lostness. As Romans 1 tells us this. Romans 1 and verse 21, he's talking about of, of, an, of natural unbelieving, wrath-deserving people, Paul says, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I mean, there are lots of ways to describe our lives before the grace of God invaded us. But one of the most basic ways is we didn't give thanks to God. We didn't give thanks to him. Sin, one of the ways we could describe sin, it's a failure to respond to God's gracious character with gratitude. It's a failure to respond to God's gracious character with gratitude. When we fail to receive his grace, when we reject his generosity, we don't enjoy him, we won't be grateful to him. We won't, therefore, glorify him. But his grace comes flooding into our hearts and it has for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, ingratitude is replaced with thankfulness, swelling gratitude. A couple of things to say about this, this gratitude. That this, this gratitude, it's more than just saying, saying thank you. Uh, we, we understand this. You can say thank you and not be really grateful. We live in the South. We know it's polite. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell everybody thank you or that's my pleasure if you work Chick-fil-A. And... Uh, um, so you, you say it because it's expected of you, but you may not really mean it uh, in certain cases. And even with God, people thank God without truly being thankful to him. We see this in popular culture all the time. But another, so, so that it's more than that. Secondly, it, it means delighting in what you've received. Thanksgiving, it means delighting in what you've received. You, you, you've received gifts at Christmas and you've said thank you for them, because it's a polite thing to do, and yet there's really no delight in your heart over the gift that you received. You know, it's an ugly necktie or, uh, you know, I don't know, handmade socks or something like that. And, and yet you say, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That, that's, I really appreciate that. And then you put it in the yard sale next month or send it off to the uh, thrift store or just re-gift it, you know, pass it along. It makes it to the White Elephant Gift Exchange next Christmas or something like that. But you said thank you, but you're not really thankful for what you received. To really give thanks, you have to rejoice in what you 
what you receive. But it's, it's even more than that because we've seen children. We've seen them get birthday presents or something like that. And, and they open it. They rejoice in what they received. And they take off out the door to, to play with it to, to uh, you know, without ever turning around and saying to the person who gave it to them, thank you. Maybe grandma had really good gift intel from uh, that year and just got them exactly what they wanted. And, and, and they're overcome with delight when they receive it and they just, they just take off with it. And the parents, you know, they're stopping them as they're running out the door. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you say to grandma? Thank you, as they, you know, without turning back and insincerely thank you. But, but real thanks, real gratitude, it's, it's, it's not just delighting in what you've received. It's delighting in the giver. It's delighting in the giver. Rejoice in what you've given and the person who gave it. But it's more than that for us who are in Christ. Gratitude, it stems from that grace. That's the connection here in the passage. It stems from grace. The more we understand how undeserving we are of the gift we have received, the more grateful we'll be to the giver of the gift. So God is the giver of life, of salvation. The gift he gives is truly a gift. Let's just say that. It's unearned. It's undeserved. We've already made this point. He's under no obligation to give it to us. He's free to give, to not to give. He chooses to give. And we've received. And there's, there's this interesting thing. In the, in the Greek text, it doesn't stand out in English as much. But, <coughs> but <coughs> a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this and in uh, the message in Hebrews there. But the, the word for grace, it's, it's charis. C-H-A-R-I-S would be the transliteration. And, and, and so, but the word for thanksgiving, it's eucharisteon. It's in that word charis, that word grace is, is in that word for thanksgiving. And so this connection, it's lost in a lot of our English translations, but you do see it in, 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 in the, in, we use the word grace uh, or gratitude, gratis. Um, and, and so this is, this is, what's, this is the, uh, the idea here. And so grace is the, it's the offspring, or excuse me, gratitude is the offspring of grace. <coughs> when there's real thanksgiving, there's a sense of the undeserved nature of what you've been given. I mean, just how many of you received, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you received a paycheck last month, and, and how many of you who received a paycheck last month took time to write a thank you note to your boss? Okay, I don't see any hands. That'd be a little weird if you did, I'm just saying. Um, now, I'm not saying you, you, you don't give thanks to God for your income and for your job, or you wouldn't be thankful to the person who cut the check and say, hey, thanks, yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for letting me know it's there. But you don't write thank you notes to your boss every pay period. Why? Because you say, I worked for it. I earned it. I mean, I gave them something in exchange for what they gave me. I gave time, they gave, they gave me income. And, that, and that's true. But when you're truly grateful and you're delighting in the gift and you're delighting in the giver, you're doing so because you didn't expect what they gave you. You were surprised by what you received. You understand that you don't deserve whatever it is that you're given. That's the idea of this grace. And yet you can begin to see this relationship between grace and and gratitude. The greater the sense of grace, the greater the response of gratitude. The greater the apprehension of grace, the greater the swelling of thankfulness to God. Is there anything more undeserved, more unearned, 
than the free grace of God. There's nothing. Is there anything that should therefore evoke thanksgiving to God like the fact that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, Paul inserts, and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do we have any cause for thanksgiving? So this is what Paul's, this is what's burning in him. This is for your sake that his grace extends and goes to more and more people and you apprehend this undeserved gift of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ that there will swell in you this thanksgiving to God. So grace, gratitude, it grows louder, it grows stronger, it grows deeper the, the more our grasp of grace grows greater the sense of the pricelessness of what we've been given, the greater the sense, the greater the sense of the great price that it cost our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to give it to us, the greater the sense that we don't deserve what He's given us, the greater we'll be able to say, thank you, thank you, God. And as grace spreads, therefore, what happens? The, the, the volume of thanksgiving to God is turned up. And it increases. And thanksgiving goes up. Who's exalted when, when that happens? God is. It's all to the glory of God. So we need, to, we need to keep going together as a church, brothers and sisters, with the gospel of Christ. Why? Because grace needs to go. It needs to extend more. And, and, and it needs to go more because that's what's going to increase thanksgiving to God. And ultimately, that's to the end that God will be glorified. So that's the third one. Because glory needs to show. It needs to shine forth more. It's all, Paul says, to the glory of God. He says, I endure all this for your sake, knowing that as grace spreads to more and more people, gratitude to God will swell and ultimately result in a greater display of the glory of God. Ultimate primary mo and, and primary motivation to go together as a church, across the street, around the world, in this community, it's the glory of God among the elect of every nation. Our going is this doxological endeavor. To say that God's glory is the goal doesn't, of our going, it doesn't mean that there are no other goals that exist. That's not the point. It doesn't mean that all the other goals are unimportant. But it's the ultimate driving goal of our going, of our evangelism, of our missions. The United States Air Force, it, it has this official stated purpose. That, that it's, it's, this is copied from Wikipedia, so it's got to be true. Um, <clears throat> but it's to preserve the peace and security, provide for the defense of the United States, first. Second, to support national policy. Third, to implement national objectives. Fourth, to overcome any nations responsible for aggressive acts that imperil the peace and security of the United States. You know what it doesn't say in any of that statement? It says nothing about aircraft. <laughs> nothing about planes, flying really amazing planes that have been created and with big weapons on them. It doesn't say anything about that. Now, they'd better train and create, you know, amazing planes with, with big weapons, but, but that's a means to an end. That's not the ultimate purpose of the Air Force. God's glory, God's, God's praise, that's the goal of everything. 
So we, we, we're building relationships with our neighbors in our neighborhood. We're taking the time to invite people into our home and showing hospitality to the strangers. We're engaging in our community and showing up at events and talking with people and, 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 and getting to know the clerk at the grocery store. And, the, and, and we're doing those things. We're praying for classmates. We're talking with family members about Christ and sending those text messages and making those calls. We're supporting missionaries. We're giving sacrificially. We're, we're praying for, for open doors for the gospel we'd better do those things as a church but that's all a means to a greater end and so the going is a means of making more worshipers for God grace goes turns people who oppose God into those who thank God and God is glorified in it this is what drives us our going, our disciple-making, in the scope of all eternity, it has a very short shelf life. I know it seems enormous that we're still, this is our task now, but it, it has a shelf life. Our worship of the Lord will not. His glory is from beginning to end. And so this shelf life of the Great Commission, it, it should translate into a greater sense of urgency and focus for us. So what does it look like, brothers and sisters? What does it look like for this local church to be one that keeps going and going and going together with the gospel? Desiring grace to extend to more people so that it might increase thanksgiving to God ultimately for his glory. I, I'd, I'd say just a, a couple things and we're done. One is we, we've got to, it, it's going to mean that we're keeping the home fires, home fires burning. That's an old expression and one that's been made into songs, but just it, this is not disconnected from what we've been doing the last two Sundays. This is why we're gathering together. This is why we're growing together and, and constantly looking to Christ together, rehearsing the gospel together, because the more we apprehend the grace of God towards us in Christ, the more we're going to be compelled to speak that message to others. So let's, not, let's, let's keep that second. It's going gonna, it's gonna to show up, this sense of going, it's going to show up in this do-or-die mindset in prayer. That the grace that spreads is sovereign grace. It's the only explanation for us. But God has sovereignly ordained. Prayer is a means by which he accomplishes much of his work. And so we're going to pray for laborers to enter the harvest. We're going we're gonna, <coughs> to help our missionaries by praying for them. That's the language Paul uses earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. He says, you must help us by prayer. We think, oh, we want to help or do we want to pray? No, it's helping by praying. We pray for open doors for the gospel. We, we need this do or die desperation in throne charging, believing prayer if we're going to keep going. Third, it, 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 it's going to look like us seeing all of our life as a mission. Not this segmented part of what we do as a church or what this little niche of my life. No, it's, it's everything in life. The, the Great Commission isn't just what they, those missionaries, do over there on those mission fields. It is that, but it's not only that. This is what we are called to do right here. This is what we're flung out to every, every Lord's Day when we leave. We're sent out on mission in this community living lives gripped by this mandate of Christ to make disciples of Christ where we live. Fourth, it's going, it's going to look like be beautiful, bountiful, cheerful giving. 
Paul's going to turn there in, in chapter 8 of St. Corinthians here, he, that, that ministry grows, the, the, the God's cause advances. And in proportion, he's going to say, to the giving of God's people. This is the context of whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's in that context of giving to support gospel workers. So as Mike's going to come up and share in just a moment about the grace promise and missions team and ways we can be involved and this is, this is why we want to be consistent and generous in giving to support that, that, that work. And then last, it's, it's going to show up in sacrificial sending and going. As Eric alluded to in praying earlier, it's, it's going to be setting apart those from among us to go out from us. We want to pray, pray for more. Maybe you are the more that we, we are praying for. And so we, we, want to be, we want to be a church that's gathering together routinely, not just to do it because it's what churches do, but we have this, this conviction of what this gathering represents. It's us coming together every week as the Lord has called us to, to look to Christ together again. And we're growing together in the Lord Jesus Christ, being transformed by the grace of God from one degree of glory to another. And we're now going out as we who are being transformed by this grace, who have been set apart by this grace. We have this ministry by the mercy of God and now we're flung out. We believe, therefore we speak. And we want to see this grace extend to more people so that it might increase thanksgiving, ultimately for the glory of God. May the Lord help us to do that, brothers and sisters. Father, thank you for, thank you for the clear charge you've given us in many places in your word from the from the very lips of jesus in his last last moments last days on earth and and repeated over and over in the new testament and we realize the charges it goes way back to the beginning to when grace grace broke in after the fall but i pray that we we as a we as a local church will 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 be unrelenting in um our desire to see this, this, this gospel of the grace of God run to more and more people that more and more might be made worshipers of you. And it will be all, all for your glory because it's all of your doing, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's.